We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Dive on, let's dive into the mailbag, Tim. We got some questions here from some folks. They want to ask us some questions, so we're gonna we're gonna dive these. I'll I'll re- bring them up, read them, and then give you a shot to answer. And if I want to add something to it, I will. Because you know me, Tim. I I like to talk a little bit. It's one thing you and I have in common. I've let's heard that. <laughs> John A. One. If Styles uh, were to move to cornerback and be a legitimate competitor in the room, would that allow both Clarence Lewis and Ryan Barnes to be moved to safety? If both Lewis and Barnes are safeties, what's the recruiting effect? Well, Styles has to prove that he can play quarterback. Let's say hypothetically that he does, just for the sake of argument. Let's say he moves the corner and, boy, it just fits like a glove. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I think they dabbled with Barnes at safety a little bit late last year, and then they moved him back to cornerback for the spring. So that may not have. That's a completely different completely different animal. Your angles are different. Your coverages are different. Your responsibilities are different. Uh, but in terms of if, like if styles could like, if you're talking about can styles step into the, onto the field and be a contributor from day one, well then you probably have some options with Lewis. I, I just, to me, I, I like Ryan Barnes as a player. I just don't think moving a guy that's never really played a meaningful snap to safety is going to be the answer because there's going to be a growing period for that, just like there was for Ramon Henderson, just like there was for Xavier Watts. And so I I, I think if they were going to move Lorenzo and, and give him a role and, and kind of let him be a niche guy and you could kind of protect him from certain things, maybe you don't put him in against Ohio State as much or put him in a specific role, that helps. But you're not counting on him to be – a difference maker and whoever you move to safety, you're moving him there because you think he needs to play and be a part of your rotation. Cause Notre Dame likes to rotate safeties. And so I, I don't know if, cause here's the thing is you, I, I don't believe you move a guy for unless you're going to play him. I'm, I'm a Tim, I'm a big believer in that. Yeah, I don't I, know what your stance is. You don't move a guy just to fill a depth need. If he's playing somewhere else, I don't believe that's right for the player. I don't think that helps your football team. So Clarence Lewis is going to play for Notre Dame this year and he should, the only way you'd move him to safety is if you're saying you're going to play there. And that's a little different for Lorenzo because this is more of a, a career change, so to speak, if he were to make that move. Because you're not moving Lorenzo to corner just to help out this year. You're moving Lorenzo to corner because you've decided, you and he have decided, this is where your best opportunity is to make an impact now and at the next level. That's the only re- That's different for what we're doing talking about with Clarence and Ryan Barnes. So, yeah, well, clearly uh, – Clearly, if Styles has any chance of playing in the NFL, it's on the defensive side of the ball. So, we'll, it just it, it would have to. To me, it would it would give me comfort to move one of those two players. I'm moving Clarence. I don't know if I'm necessarily moving Ryan because right now Ryan Barnes is working in a lot of nickel, and I'd like to say let him develop there instead of trying to him to fill a depth need somewhere else. You're going to get a Don Schuler back in the fall. You're going to go get a portal guy. Uh, most, or at least they're going to try to get a portal guy. I don't know if it's just going to be as easy as maybe some people think that it's going to be. Uh, I, I personally would move Clarence Lewis, assuming that Christian Gray is going to be is, is healthy and is going to be ready to go here soon. He didn't practice yesterday. Uh, that's I think it also helps Clarence Lewis because I personally believe Clarence Lewis 
has a better shot at being a professional player as a safety than he does a corner. I would agree with that. And and so that's the other reason for that, too. I don't think he's going to play professionally either way, but I would agree. This is his best chance because he's definitely not a cornerback. Yep. Uh, And so because here's the thing, like I think Clarence could maybe develop to a special teams player at the next level, but you have to be able to do – when you have small rosters in the NFL, you have to be able to do something else than just be a special teams player. We saw at times in his career where David Bruton had to start at safety for the Broncos and the Redskins. He wasn't just a special teams player. you got to be able to help out somewhere else yeah. unless you are an absolute wizard as a special teams guy, and that's just not who Clarence Lewis is at this point in time. So uh, I, it all sounds good on paper. It just there's a lot that would have to go right, and do you have enough time with Lorenzo now to be comfortable enough with that to, to go there? That's going to be the question mark. But I, I personally would just – I'd make the Clarence Lewis move anyway. And that's, that's just my two cents on that one. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Our next partner is Athletic Greens. I take AG1 by Athletic Greens literally every day. I gave AGI a try because I wanted better gut health, sustained energy, immune support system, but I hate taking pills. And I wanted a supplement that actually tastes great, which is helping me kick my sugar addiction. In the morning before I get to work, I like getting something healthy in my body. And with AG1, I'm giving my body the nutrition it craves. It's very important for me to get my day started off with something healthy. But with my schedule, it's hard to prepare healthy meals. AG1 is a very quick way to pack my body with all that I need to jumpstart my day in a very healthy way. Covering my nutritional basis for the day literally couldn't be easier, which is why I trust Athletic Greens. I just mix one small scoop of AG1 with water and drink it first thing every morning. Done. I also like that it costs less than $3 a day. It's pretty good if you ask me. It's a really effective daily habit with the highest quality source ingredients. Win-win. If a comprehensive solution is what you need from your supplement routine, then Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Go to athleticgreens.com irish. That's athleticgreens.com irish. Check it out. We have one from, um, uh, let's see here. Actually, that's that was a follow-up. We got a two-parter from Domer Grizz, Tim. Part one is it says, is it correct to say that Laronitis was the primary linebacker recruiter last year? Uh, if not, end of question. If so, two follow-ups. And so he was. So we're going to bring up the two follow-ups. Number one, is it common for a GA to have that much responsibility? And two, does it seem like Gold learned his lesson now that Pierce followed James Laronitis Ohio State? Or is he still having Bulla take the lead? So let's go to the first part of that question. Is it common for a GA to have that much responsibility? No, I don't think so, but it's uncommon to have James Laurinaitis as your GA too. You know, I mean, a guy that a guy that was a proven NFL player and a and a and a recognizable name. Now, Nick Lazinski had that kind of role when he was at Notre Dame, which is probably why did we even talk about this? Which is probably why Prince Collie will end up at, at at Vanderbilt. I have been purposely not talking about it just because I don't like to get into that. But yes, I would agree with that sentiment. <laughs> uh, that, that, I mean, that's a strong possibility as, yeah. as it appears right now. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, and he hasn't been at the, what the last three practices we've seen. I mean, it's not a, yeah, yeah. it's not going to surprise anybody, Yeah, but yes, Nick Lazinski was a guy that was not your, t- it, it's not common in college football. It's becoming more and more common uh, at Notre Dame, which I think is smart. Uh, like if you've, 
if you're going to hire, because so, the GA position has evolved so much over time, Tim. I mean, GA, when you, I, I coached with a guy who was a GA under uh, Fred Akers at Purdue. And he would tell me about what his, like his jobs were like. So, so apparently Texas gave Fred Akers a longhorn, a literal longhorn when he left. That was part of his compensation package. So when he goes to Purdue, he still has this longhorn. So he's got this, this, this farm where he's got this steer. He's got this longhorn and the GA, my buddy Jeff's job, he's an older guy, was to go over there and like take care of the longhorn. <laughs> like that was part of what he would do. You mean Laurinaitis wasn't doing that last year? No, no. And I mean, even when I first came up, you know, at that level, GAs were guys were just gophers. I mean, you go get me this, go get me that. And it's smart, co- smart coaches. It's evolved because coaches are getting smarter and they're realizing this is a position where I need to be able to take advantage of get another because GAs can be on the field working with players. And so you're saying, and no, uh, Mike Elson had several GAs on the D line that you look at. And Larry Black was this way. Larry yeah, Black was yeah. very heavily involved yeah. in recruiting. Uh, and so because Notre Dame doesn't have sort of the support staff, one thing I think Brian Kelly tried to focus more on was bringing in GAs who can coach who can help coach and can be guys that can help us. You know, so if I'm Harry Heastan, I need an offensive line GA because I want to work with this side of the line, and I need to trust that the guy over there working with that side of the line is going to be able to teach these kids the things that I believe in that we're trying to get them across. So you're seeing that position evolve. It hasn't had as much of an impact in recruiting nationally, but Notre Dame's been doing this for a while. As you mentioned, Nick Lazinski was that way. You talk to the Adam Yolas and some of the the older defensive linemen, they'll say that Larry Black had a very important role in getting them to come to Notre Dame and, and working at Notre Dame. So it's getting more and more prompt. Tommy Reese's first year at Notre Dame, he was the quarterback's coach, but he was a GA because it was the year before the uh, ro- the coaching rosters expanded to 10 full-time assistants. So I think if you're smart, you're bringing in a GA that can help you be a recruiter. Now, do I believe you should have a, a, a GA that's a recruiter that is your full-time position coach? No, uh, even if it's James Laronitis, because the very nature of that position is there's a shelf life on how long you can be a GA, just by rule. So I still felt like Al Golden should have been more involved, and I do think he has learned from that. Uh, I think that it came from the standpoint, Tim, of I felt like Al Golden very much wants to just be the defensive coordinator and not necessarily position coach. I believe that that's true. And I'm good with that from a on-the-field standpoint when you're able to get Nick because they've now had three pretty good GAs in a row, in my opinion, a linebacker. You had Nick Lazinski, and also there was another kid that worked with Rovers who's now, I think, the GA or the DC at Duke. Uh, and I'm forgetting his last name, but his first name is like Tyler. You remember him, Tim? He, he was coached the Rovers in Elko's year here, and then he went with Elko to Texas A&M. For the life of me, I can't remember his name. His uh, last I knew name. Who I feel, talking about. I feel I feel terrible about, about it because he did a really nice job. Um, oh, uh, Santucci. Yes, Tyler Santucci. Yep, just looked it up. So you know, you look at what the job that Ryan Mahaffey did coaching the receivers when Mike Denbrock was the receivers. Like it's a good to have a guy like that that's coaching and let you be the coordinator. I felt he you you can't give that guy too much response or, or he's the the only guy really recruiting linebackers of your defensive staff because you're going to get into a situation like this but I think the the thing that comes from is Peyton Pierce and I don't know how much it would have changed if Al Golden was involved in the Peyton Pierce recruitment I don't think it would have changed anything for whatever reason that kid just was in love with James Laronitis and I don't care if Marcus Freeman was recruiting him or if, of Al Golden's recruiting him, Peyton Pierce is going to follow James Laronitis. That's just the reality. Uh, and we know, like you, you mentioned Lazinski. I mean, guys love Lazinski, but they yeah. didn't. They didn't back out on Notre Dame because right. Lazinski left. Laronitis right. is just a little bit different. I under, I think, man, I think it's a good question. I understand it, but like you want all, like everybody wants all these support staff guys, right. and then when they lose a support staff guy, all oh, that sucks. I mean, yeah. you, there's there's got to be there's a give and take there, and sometimes that's. That's going to happen. It's just I think the Peyton Pierce thing was you. Un- I think people are making this out to be some bigger deal than it is. I think his situation was unique. I agree with that. And, and I've been very critical of Al Golden as a recruiter at Notre Dame. I just don't think that now every time they lose a guy, it's because Al Golden didn't do the right job. I just think this was a unique situation. And I don't know if there's anything Al Golden could have done differently. You're going to not let James Laronitis recruit the guy just in case he might leave and take the kid with you. I mean, sometimes we, things happen. And Notre Dame's we, done that, Tim. We, we cover sports now, and and everything is it's a, the blame game. Right. This well, is a very, very, very competitive field, and some people win and some people lose. Right. And you win. Like, we tend to ignore the wins right. like this. Well, like, like, you lose it. You have a, a guy verbally committed, he goes somewhere else. 
but we forget right. about the guys that were verbal, verbally committed somewhere else and come to Notre Dame. I mean, we, it, we need to be allowed to say, hey, listen, there are times when the staff did something wrong. Kerry Cooks dropped the ball, and that had a big role in why Ronald Darby left. There are times you can point to and say, that guy dropped the ball. I've been very critical of Al Washington as a recruiter. I don't blame him for losing Keon Keeley. I don't think there's a thing he could have done differently other than have a track record like Alabama has of producing first-round NFL draft picks on the D-line. It wasn't NIL, in my opinion. That was a primary reason they lost Keon. Keon was a top NFL draft pick, and the school that gave him the best chance to do that was Alabama. There was, I don't think there's a lot Notre Dame could have done about that one. Other situations, you could say that, and that's the thing that frustrates me, Tim, is not every time you lose a kid, it's because somebody screwed up. Sometimes a kid just chooses to go somewhere else. And then Chris O'Leary blow the Peyton, Peyton Bowen? No, no. The only blowing you could say is they should have read the tea leaf sooner and I agree, moved. But, I mean, you can't. There's nothing. Like Tim, you and I know what happened there. There's nothing they could have done right? differently to get Every Peyton time Bowen. a player plays poorly, it's not all on the position right. coach. Right. I, it. This is the field that we're covering here that we're in is so competitive that there are wins and losses, and it's not always a blame. It's competitive athletics. One team is always going to win. One team is always going to lose. You have to accept that as part of the competitive process. Right. And that includes recruiting. And I don't care how – look, there are guys that Lou Holtz and his staff went after and lost. Nobody did anything wrong. It's just some – what I've said is when you're going to criticize a coach – Criticize a coach because you see a consistent pattern happening in his position. Like my criticism of Jeff Quinn were not because this one player didn't pan out. It was a consistent problem that you saw. Harry Heastan, I thought was a great coach. He had a hard time finding a right guard in 2016, right? Colin McGovern had, I think Colin McGovern, you could say, well, that, that player didn't play well enough, but the coach has a good track record. But even then every coach makes mistakes. That's kind of my frustration is like, I'm very critical of certain coaches, but then it's like everything that happens is now that guy's fault. When you see consistent problems at a position, then you can say, hey, this guy's not doing a good job. Chris O'Leary with Peyton Bowen, for example. Chris O'Leary's got to step up and do a better job recruiting. Not because he lost Peyton Bowen, because he didn't land anybody in the 2022 class. Right, right. And that's, because, that's you know, it, it, right. I mean, so, yeah, he's got to step up and do better, but some there's nothing Notre Dame could have done differently to get Peyton Bowen. I think the only thing they could have done differently was just have a better backup plan. And well, okay, they did in Brandon Hillman. But well, then your backup plan didn't pan out, and you should have had a better sense of where your backup plan was and had a back. You know what I mean? Yeah. But you get into this blame game, and sometimes, like I have a buddy, a friend of mine that you and I have the same friend, and you know exactly what I'm talking about. We'll say his name. It was like every time they miss out on a kid, it's like who, whose fault was this? Like, buddy, it's nobody's fault. It, it's competitive it, athletic. Kid just liked somewhere else better. You know what I mean? Like it happens sometimes. Uh, and, and that's the, sometimes it is because a coach dropped the ball. We've seen that it happens. Sometimes it's because you did everything you can. This just wasn't the right fit for that kid for whatever reason. Uh, it's well, just, and maybe, and maybe the family is influencing the sure. kid more than right. Sure. Absolutely. I mean, we've seen, we've seen tons of evidence. Yeah. Of that. Oh yeah. Well, I've said this, Tim, parents are, are worse about this NIL stuff than the kids in a lot of instances. I mean, the times where I've seen a kid say, well, I, I don't care about that stuff. And the parents are like, yes, you will. You know I mean? It's, it's been wild. There's a, a kid that Notre Dame signed last year whose parent was trying to get him to go somewhere else because he was getting a better NIL deal. The kid's like, no, I want to go to Notre Dame. But yeah, I've seen, I've had to deal with more crap from parents when it comes to NIL than kids. Cause kids still, I think deep down, uh, most kids still care about the relationship and all that other kind of stuff. Yeah. NIL is a factor. But they understand that, hey, but this team doesn't – Keon Keeley, perfect example. Did Keon Keeley get NIL money? I think so. Did Keon Keeley not go to Notre Dame because of an NIL deal? I just don't think that that's the case, knowing him like I know him. There was a lot of other reasons that I don't think Notre Dame could have done. And if Mike Elson was still here, I don't think it changes. I still think Keon Keeley ends up at Alabama. I just – Notre Dame can change things down the road by winning championships and producing more first-round – because why doesn't this happen at the offensive line and tight end, Tim? Why don't they? Why do they rarely lose those guys there? Why? Because they have a track record of producing big time NFL talents. Those positions that will change at defensive line when they. You haven't had a first round draft pick on the defensive end since 1998 with Ronaldo Win. 
that's that's why you lost Keon Keely. Right. You know what I mean? If well, that I changes, think, then it helps. I want to say this about NIL. I think I'm not saying Notre Dame is going to match other schools dollar for dollar. Yeah. They never they 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 won't right. do that. Notre Dame is going to be more competitive yes. in NIL moving forward. I yes. there, there's no doubt in my mind about that. Yeah, I actually think when it's all do- said and done, NIL, and I've said this all along, NIL eventually, and in some ways it already is, eventually is going to be a net positive for Notre Dame. Even if they're not getting into the paying players thing with NIL, or recruits to get enticement to recruits, because I don't believe in that personally. Uh, because it, this is the thing, Tim, their players have always been getting paid. It's just in the past, Notre Dame could do nothing. Now they at least have something to offer, that's and good. that's the difference. Yep. Yep. Right, here's a question from Benjamin Karch. He says, we have heard Coach Parker talk about how he wants to open up the offense this year. What does it look like in your eyes, and what do you hope to see? Uh, faster tempo, for one thing, in general. More RPOs. Um, Very I mean, much more aggressive down the field, Tim. We talked about oh, that earlier. Oh, yeah, We're well, going to see a much yeah, more aggressive with, def- offense down the field. Yeah. With the quarterback that you have in Sam Hartman, absolutely. I, those would be, I think, my top three things. I think we're going to see different personnel this year, but I think that's more related to the specific makeup of your team than something that's necessarily different than what Tommy Reese wanted to do. I think Tommy Reese was a heavy 12 personnel guy the last couple of years because that's where his best players were primarily, where you had the depth you had at tight end. If you didn't use 12 and 13 personnel a lot in 2020, you're not doing your job as a coach. You had Tommy Tremble and Brock Wright would have been a very good one-two punch at tight end in 2020. And then you went and brought in the, this kid named Michael Mayer. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it was personnel driven. It's not necessarily that Tommy Reese's dream in life is to be a 12 personnel's entire life, which is why he and Chancey <laughs> Stuckey went out and brought in the four man class that they brought in a wide receiver because they want to have more variety. Uh, so I think that we'll see, we'll see more 11 personnel this year, Tim. I think we'll see more 21 and 20 personnel this year, but I think that's more so a change in the makeup of your roster than per se a Jared Parker specific difference in my opinion i i would i would agree and any coordinator that doesn't you know in there there's so much offense out there now right that you have to play to your strengths i mean would it have made sense to throw the deep ball consistently last year with yeah. with drew Pine quarterback that receiving core i mean that's you that's couldn't crazy so i you know i i found myself on the, the, uh, the defending side of Tommy Reese frequently because I did think that he was creative and I thought that he had, he was trying to do things to match his personnel personnel so he could maximize what he had. Right. So I, I do think we'll see a little bit of a change there. I mean, I think something I'm curious to see Tim that I don't think we have an answer to yet is I'm very curious to see what the run game is going to look like. I think we're going to see the same run schemes that we've seen in the past, but I think the makeup of the volume in which each concept is used is going to change a little bit this year. I just don't know if I, if I would be able to pound the table and say definitively they're going to see more of this and this and maybe less of this like I am for RPOs because I yeah, just think I, I, I haven't I'm, seen I'm enough certainly, of it. I'm certainly not in a position to say yeah. they're going to do more of this and that because yeah. I just don't know Jared Parker's game that well. Plus, you know, you want to go ahead and try to look at what happened at West Virginia – but it's so foggy as to who was calling what right. when that right. it's really, it was really, I mean, I, I don't know about you, but I spent a lot of time talking to people and trying to decipher that. And the people that I talked to didn't have the answer. Well, how about the answer? When then Jared I Parker got hired, Tim, after about three conversations, I was like, I'm not watching a single second of West Virginia film. That's how little I felt he was running an offense that he would want yeah. to run. Yeah. I said, okay, I'm just not watching the film of that team because it just, I mean, it was so, all the people I talked to at Westford, and I'm not talking about Notre Dame people trying to, you know, lay down cover for Jared Parker in the office of West Virginia. I'm talking about people I was talking to at West Virginia. He wasn't running his offense. He was running Neil Brown's offense. I think there were and, there were moments where he was allowed to, but right. it's a little bit. He was allowed to call, he was allowed to call plays that were from Neil Brown's <laughs> right. offense. I, I, you know, I don't know Neil Brown, uh, but. But I have to say that, uh, um, you know, there were times where hands were tied. Yes. Yeah. So I, the run game thing is we will see a change, Benjamin. I just don't know what it's going to look like. And the change won't be a dramatic 
wow, they're running all these different schemes. They're going to still run power. I mean, skew counter. They're going to still run inside zone. They're going to still run outside zone. They're still going to run duo. They might throw in like a, a buck sweep type of scheme. We've seen all of that from Notre Dame under Harry Heastan. Not as much last year, but like, like three of their long touchdowns in 2017 were off buck sweep. We've seen that before. I don't think it'll look different. Like there won't be schemes like, whoa, what the heck was that concept right there? We've never seen a G-Rap concept with RPO like they, they Lincoln Riley does at Notre Dame. I don't think it'd be necessarily like that. It'll be more of, oh, they're running more zone this year than last year. Oh, they're still running duo. They're just not as reliant on duo as they were last year. I think don't it'll be – Don't the you think there's like, going to be more RPO? Oh, absolutely. RPO, I, I agree with you on. Terrible, yeah. Yeah. What, what I was saying is I don't – I flat out will tell you there's going to be more RPOs. I'm not as definitive on pounding the table for what the run game is going to look like because I don't know as much. Right. And the two practice full practices we saw, Tim, were, were blitz periods where you're not running your base offense. You're running right. blitz beaters. I mean, yesterday was all third down. And so you're running like draws and outside runs. That's not your base run game. So I just don't think I can confidently say for sure it's going to look like this. I just know that anytime you have a shift in coordinator, even if you hand a coordinator the same exact playbook and say you are to make no schematic changes to this playbook – it's going to look different on Saturday because the emphasis on certain concepts is going to be different based on a, what a coach likes and B my personnel this year is different than what the personnel was last year. Cause guess what? There's this kid that wore number 87 Jersey that we don't have anymore. <laughs> I do think, I do think the playbook is going to be cleaner. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is in, in talking with Jared Parker, it was like, you know, we've got, we've got terminology, terminology and concepts that we don't even use anymore that are still, right being thrown around a little bit. So I think, I, I think the entire playbook is going to be a little bit cleaner, a little bit tidier and maybe having a better overall concept of, of, okay, this is what we want to do here. This is what we want to do here. Are you referring to the playbook in regard to what's the volume they take into a season into games? Cause I think the playbook big picture is going to look basically the same. Yeah. No, I think I- it's going to change. They're going to scale down just how much volume of that we're implementing as our base package and then carrying into each week. I think what you just described is, is, is accurate. Okay. Let's go to the next one here from Josh Miller. He says, if Kenny Minchie was an early enrollee last year, is he starting against USC? Probably not. I would say probably not. Yeah. I think the way that that team was built, they're just going to run the ball and get the ball to Michael Mayer. I don't, I don't know if they would have thrown a freshman out there you know, we, don't, we, don't under, we don't know what Kenny Minching does yeah. and doesn't know at this point. Yeah. We know that he's an extremely accurate thrower of the football. I thought it was interesting hearing Gino Guadulli talk about, you know, his pulse, man, is just steady as it goes. He's yeah. not up and down. And so that's – you like to hear that. That's a really good thing. But, I mean, I, you know, I don't know where Kenny Minchie is with the, the uh, deciphering coverages and the playbook and – uh, to think that he would have started ahead of either one of those two guys. I well, think. I think the question was, is once Tyler got hurt, would he have replaced Drew Pine? And as a true freshman, I don't think so. Now, if he was a redshirt freshman and I knew that Kenny Minchie had three semesters under his belt, then yeah, I would have been a lot more comfortable because I think he's just more talented, just physically more gifted. But it's, t- look, Trevor Lawrence was an anomaly, Jalen Hurts was able to lead a team to a national title game as a true freshman because he was, uh, I mean, talented, but he was he was not asked to do much because that team was so loaded. Those guys are not the norm. Putting a true freshman onto the field is not the norm if your desire is to win. I mean, it, that's just the reality of it. And that team was still trying to go out and win football games, and and they had to like there may be years tim where you know things are just not going right and we need to develop guys we're, we're we've lost three games we need to develop our young guys and get ready for next year but when you're in year one of a coaching staff and you're coming off of a of a you're replacing a guy that you did not replace who was fired you're replacing a guy who who went 50 and whatever 40 and whatever the four previous years and left on his own you have to make sure that you're doing whatever you can to establish a winning culture, even if that means I'm maybe not playing a couple young guys because we need to make sure that we go out and we're still teaching the team how to win. And I think the, the, the thing that they felt late in the year was that in most weeks, Drew Pine running the offense with his experience, being a leader, could get you into the looks you needed to get to to go out and use your strengths, which was running the football and getting the ball to Michael Mayer. And that's just where you were. And I don't think there was a freshman that was going to come in 
unless it was a Dante. If Dante Moore was on the team last year, sure. Yeah, he, he'd start. If CJ, if what we think CJ Carr is going to be was a true freshman last year, sure. But those guys are not the norm. And so I still don't think it would have had a whole lot of a difference, in my opinion. Got a question here from Katie Kievers. Is the pressure off Tyler mentally this spring, now having Hartman to be the preconceived starter? Might be easier for him to play better in that scenario. That's an interesting one, Tim, because last year he was the guy that everybody was looking at saying, this is the guy. Andrew Pine was the guy that had nothing to lose. Now Tyler's in those shoes. I yeah, I think, good, I, I think it's a good question. And my answer is, yeah, I think, I think, and we're see, seeing that from Buckner that, that, uh, you know, he's, he's in the underdog role and, and, and there's, le- he was, he was expected to win. No, nobody was surprised when he was named the starting quarterback uh, in, in August last year. Uh, and yeah, I do. I, I think it's a little bit, he doesn't have that, that pressure resting on his shoulders, but yeah. Um, you know, I mean, ultimately guys are, I mean, if you're a competitor, you accept that. I think that Tyler Buckner's low key personality has kind of forced him to become a leader or work on becoming a leader. And that wasn't, that didn't necessarily, you know, I I think I said earlier about commanding the other 10 guys on the field, that's just not really who he is. But again, when you talk about body language and the way he's carrying himself and, and, throwing the football free and easy. I think, uh, I think that's a good question. I think there's some legitimacy to that. Yeah. Now, now I think the other part too is, is he's also a year older just in general. And I think it's like we said earlier, he's building on what began last season and what began in the week of the, 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 the preparation, not the week of, but the preparation, in the bowl game. I think that's part of it too, Katie. But I, I think, I think this is going to end up being good for Tyler because the the whole savior thing that people had on him, this notion that he was going to come out and last year and, and do all these things, I think that pressure's off of him. And I think it's going to be a good thing for him. I, I really do. Great question, Katie. Here's a comment here from Berkshire Yankee. He says, Priestern Samoji, the Ruth and Garrick of Notre Dame coverage. <laughs> yeah, I'm, 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 the, I'm as old as Ruth and Lou is yeah. all. He followed up. He said, BD, you can be Joe D and that ain't bad. I think he was trying to make me feel better because I didn't get included in that group. Well, I'd rather be Mickey Mantle, man. I think Mickey was probably more up my alley than Joe D. But yeah, uh, yeah. But yes, um, I, I agree with that sentiment. Uh, and, and I can say that that I've said this before. One of the greatest honors of my professional life was being able to be on the same beat as you and Lou. And not just because of what you guys did, but I've said this before, Tim. So I'm not saying that I've said before, but the the grace and help that you and Lou both gave me, despite the fact I was a, a competitor, which is, you know, a whole different animal in this beat, which drives me nuts. Uh, but the, the, the way in which you guys helped me along was very much appreciated and why I had so much respect for you two guys and why it was such an honor to actually get to work with Lou and um, you know, and, and to, it, it's, it's, it's a, it was very meaningful for me. And you, and you and I've talked about this, so you know that I'm not saying anything that you don't already know, but yeah. you guys are, you guys are without question, in my opinion, the, the Ruth and Garrick of Notre Dame cover. Well, no I appreciate that, Brian. And and yes, it was through gritted teeth that I said, yeah, Brian, I think you should go to my competitor. <laughs> well, I met when I first joined the beat before then, <laughs> um, just, you guys didn't know me from Adam, but you just saw a young guy that was working hard and asking questions and you guys were so so kind to me and and uh, and gracious and uh, gracious to me and just helping me along to where when I did decide to leave to go to BGI, you were a good enough of a friend to say, "Here's the pros and cons," because that's what you did, Tim. I and mean, you gave me pros and cons to what that move would be like, and the cons you gave me were legitimate cons, as I found out while I went over there. But it was an honor to write for the same magazine that I grew up reading that you and Tim were, you and Lou were a part of. Nobody had more grace. Nobody was more gracious than Lou Samoji. None. The best human being. How many times have you and I talked since then where I've asked you a question or vice versa? You're like, well, it's another reason I wish Lou was right. I can't answer that, but Lou could have. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. My favorite part of working there was when the SIDs would release some post-game notes and then Lou would find an error and walk up there and let them know. And they would immediately just correct it. They wouldn't even look it up. They would just correct it because they knew Lou was right. When NBC first started covering Notre Dame, uh, doing the, the, the TV broadcast, Lou had a, Lou had a phone sitting next to him in the press box. The phone would ring and it was NBC 
wanting a factoid or something that applies to, so Lou is working for us, day, but he's working for NBC a little bit too. That does not surprise me at all. And as you said, Tim, the thing about Lou is it's not just the mind that he had for this, but he was the most genuinely decent human being that you'll ever meet. And it was so real. I still enjoy the, I've said this when, when people would recognize him and come up and talk to him, the embarrassment he would have, like what, like he genuinely believed, like, why are they trying to talk to me? I'm, I'm yeah. nobody. And that's just who he was. You and I have a little bit of a different personality. When yeah. It comes to that. Yeah. No doubt about it. I, now that doesn't mean that Lou couldn't be a smart ass because he was. <laughs> He was. He he could be very, very cynical, but he was the most gracious human being I've ever known. He was. He was. Missed that guy every day. Eric Espinola says, curious to your thoughts regarding Jalen Sneed. I thought he played terrible against South Carolina in the bowl game. He looked out of place and seemed overmatched, especially coming off the edge. Uh, I think Jalen Sneed is considering a guy played four games last year. Um, I think he's right where you want him to be. He has four years of eligibility. Uh, I don't know that they know exactly how they want to use him quite yet. That's true. I'm I'm not sure that uh, there is a definitive answer to that per se, but uh, Jalen Sneed is fine. I realize when a guy's a five-star, you expect him to hit the ground running and and contribute right away. I think uh, he should – he should be very happy now that they didn't use a year of eligibility, mm-hmm. although he's probably talented enough that he won't need five years anyway. Right. But, um, you know, I mean, we're going to, it'll be interesting to see how Al Golden uses him because I think that type of athlete, that type of player, I think you're going to see his role expand pretty soon. You have to find a, you have to find a role for him in some way. And then as he gets more comfortable in that niche role, you give him more and more and more and more. The thing that hurt Jalen too, that I think people need to understand is Jalen, never really played linebacker, a pure linebacker. He played a little bit of Rover as a junior, uh, sophomore. And then he played – he was a three-point stance edge rusher as a junior in high school. And then as a senior, was switching between kind of playing in space and being a quarterback for his high school team. So he, he, elite physical tools that's still learning the position. And it, it'll come. It'll come. Forcing Notre Dame's in a situation where they don't have to throw him out there to be an every-down starting – linebacker he can grow into that role but he, he totally was see ball get ball yes coming out of high school. now one thing i did hear tim and i don't know if, if you've heard the same but one thing i heard is before he he went out with an injury that's not a f- damaging it's not like a torn this or a broken that uh but uh he was i mean we've talked to recruits that were at practices i talked to a different source say as a as a pass rusher he was giving them problems he was giving the offense problems because he's yeah. He's a lot stronger now. He's a year stronger. He he's more comfortable because I, I don't. I think Eric was a, a little bit um, harsh, saying he was terrible. He certainly had some big mistakes. He you know just completely gives up a tight end up the seam. But that was smart coaching by South Carolina to say, hey, they got this kid playing in space that's never played before. Let's let's throw some play actions and some different things at him. He obviously had the the, the one personal foul I thought was warranted. The other one I s- still don't know what happened. I just didn't see the play, and so. Uh, but he also did some things where you're like, okay, the, the talent flashes, but he was definitely lost at times in that game. I think that's going to help him. And, uh, you know, I, I think he's going to be comfortable this year. I think they're going to use him as a niche role early, let him attack. And then as he gets more experience, he'll be, he'll be more comfortable. I, I definitely, and I, we've heard the same things you have, Brian, that rushing the passer, we're going to see a lot more of yeah. that from him. Yeah. Next question here is David Lowe asked, Brian, is there any chance that Notre Dame goes after the all SEC offensive lineman in the portal from AM? I saw where he had a Notre Dame offer. It's possible. I mean, I think the stance that Notre Dame has taken, Tim, when it comes to, to portal offensive linemen is we're not necessarily looking, but if a guy significantly upgrades our room, we'll take a look at it. And, you know, to me, I believe that that kid was a center. I believe. Yeah, this and I'm is, not sure that's going to be the the answer. In yeah, this opinion. is more of a um, Tom Loy, uh, Kevin Sinclair uh, question for me. I, I'm aware, I'm aware of this this line, yeah. but I I, don't I have know. not heard anything from my sources that they're looking at him. But this just happened yesterday. 
I just don't know if recruiting a kid that was good at center and then moving him to guard is necessarily going to make your room that much better. Look, I just think they need to coach up the kids they have. I think that's a position that doesn't lack talent. It's a position that lacks experience. And Joe Rudolph is nine practices into working with these kids. He's going to learn more about them and have a better feel for how to push the right buttons. I think, I think to me, if, if, if they were to, I would feel more, I, I don't say this the right way. I would look at it, but I don't know if it's the direction I would go. I'd feel a little bit, maybe a little bit better if it was a senior, a veteran that, that was going to be that guy. But I don't know, Tim, there's just most positions. I feel like with the portal, I, I like where Notre Dame is at. If you can get a depth guy, great. But I just say, coach the kids you have. You got some talented kids there. Coach them up. Coach up Billy. I don't want to do anything that's going to take reps away from Billy Shrouth. I don't do anything that's going to take reps away from Ty Chan or Charles Jagasaw or Sam Pendleton. Coach those guys up. That's that's what I'd much rather see. Brian, are you saying is this not a one and done guy? This a- no, he's a freshman. Oh, oh okay. yeah, right. He's that's a right. young kid. Right. Yeah, okay. he he was a, which is which puts Notre Dame in the ball game because Notre Dame can recruit. Like there's this notion that they can only gr- recruit graduate transfers. That's not accurate. They can recruit graduates effectively, and they rec- can recruit guys that are only in like year one relatively easily as long as they were going to class because the problem is is the juniors are guys it's it's getting the core classes for the majors to transfer over they're just not accepting those in a lot of instances so it's a little harder to get a junior who hasn't graduated that's why it was it was a challenge to get they had to do some things to get brandon joseph here freshmen that are going to transfer it's not a big it's why alohi gilman came because he only had one year classes so those just basically train because they're taking the classes tim what they're not, what they're having a hard time doing is taking, okay, well, you took these 25 classes towards your major. Well, the program you want to get in here, those don't, those syllabuses don't match up. So we'll take the classes, but they're all going to be electives, which puts you off schedule to graduate. And we're not going to take a kid who's not going to graduate. Yeah. The other problem is not an issue. The other problem is, is business school accepting transfers. Right. A freshman, uh, it's not as big of a deal. Yeah. So it's a little easier. And that's what I've been told by people in Notre Dame is we can, if a freshman wants to come, we can work with that That a lot easier. Uh, and again, they've seen, we've seen this before. Alohi Gilman came to Notre Dame as, a, as an undergraduate transfer. He only been one year at Navy. It's a little bit different deal. Because if I'm correct on this, you can come as a whatever and then earn your way into the business program if you're just a freshman at Notre Dame. Correct? Is that not, is that not accurate? No, I, I, I don't want to speak with 100% okay. certainty about that. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, motion sounds something like this. Kizik helps you experience the magic of motion. With over 200 patents and easy on, easy off technology, you'll never have to touch your shoes again. There are hundreds of styles and colors, plus a squish like nothing you've ever felt. For a limited time, get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com socks. All right, so let's move on. Tyler Smith says, who would you say is the best blocking wide receiver on the roster? Oh, that's I think that's pretty easy, Jaden Thomas. I agree. I agree. Andre Tonsil says, do you think – I'll say this. I think Jaden Greathouse is going to eventually be a really okay. good blocker good. as well. But he's not there yet. I mean, yeah. I'm just talking off high school film and things like that. He'll eventually get there. But Jaden Thomas is is got grown man size and strength, and, and he's already established himself as that guy. There's no question. Andre Tonsil says, do you think that Notre Dame is close to getting those players and recruiting who are physically ready to play right away? I think they've upped the game, Tim. I think they're they, not quite where they need to be, but they've upped yeah, the game. Yeah, they're turning in that direction. It goes back to what I was saying about just the the uh, the height, the the stature of the the players that they're recruiting. I, I don't. I mean, it's definitely you're just not going to see a whole lot of six foot six one defensive tackles anymore. I, I wouldn't think. I wouldn't think. You know, there are always exceptions to the rule. And and if they're going to be that, they've got to be dudes. I mean, they got to be real dudes, especially guys that are going to come in and play early on. Uh, to me, there's it's a it's kind of a it's kind of a two way conversation here. Number one is Notre Dame is upping their recruiting game, and as they up their recruiting game, 
it's going to make it increasingly harder for freshmen to get on the field. Like Georgia this year played, I think, four freshmen a lot on defense this year. But that was a bit of an anomaly because they had just lost everybody so many guys from the year before. They're not this year, they won't play as many freshmen. Their recruiting class is still excellent, but they won't play as many freshmen. You know, Clemson had that year in 2018 where they played a bunch of freshmen and sophomores, but then they didn't play that many the next two years because they they upped their recruiting game. And so as you as you recruit better consistently, it creates fewer and fewer opportunities for those freshmen to play, where now it's only the truly elite guys. And I think that's ultimately where Notre Dame wants to be, where you know, even when you look at like 1988, that that team had some freshmen that played a bunch. Uh, see Rocket Ismail played, Derek Brown played. Who was the defensive? Did Arnold uh, uh, Ali was a freshman on that team, right? Yep. But yep. not many freshmen played, even though that was a pretty darn good recruiting class. Not many of those guys played. And and even the 1990 team, like they had some of those freshmen played, but a lot of those guys didn't play a ton as freshmen because they were so loaded. And that's ultimately where you want to be, where freshmen are coming in and and battling for role jobs and then eventually – those guys leave, and I'm ready to step in and be a star. That's what Bama does. That's what Georgia does. That's what Ohio State has has done at certain positions where, you know, Marvin Harrison doesn't catch a ton of balls as a freshman. Why? Because you've got Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave and Jackson Smith and Jigba ahead of him. But then as year two, he finally steps in. And he, year two. Yeah, exactly. And that's kind. Of, I mean, that's kind of where you want to be, right? Is is you you know, and that was my beef last year with the linebacking core. I had no problem with who they were starting. My only issue was. I'd like to see some of those younger guys being used more on special teams and maybe getting in certain specific situations where you're providing a little bit more depth. Uh, That's a different debate for a different day, but because I thought it was needed, I want to get to the point where freshmen are not necessarily being counted on where I hope this freshman's ready to play. Uh, Cause that's often not a good, doesn't work out well a lot of times. And and we had a question earlier, I think that relates to this too is, Gideon Rosas, Tim says, are there any prospects in the 23, 24, 25 classes nationally that are as talented as Trevor Lawrence? And this kind of goes back to my original conversation, Tim, is when a freshman comes in and does what Trevor did, then everybody's kind of looking for their Trevor Lawrence. And the reality is, is those guys just don't come along very often. You know, those are rare. Like, you know why Notre Dame didn't have a lot of freshman receivers playing after 1988? Because they weren't rocket. I mean, you know what I mean? Like, and, and that's kind of the thing is, no, I don't see anyone in the 23, 24, 25 classes as talented as Trevor Lawrence. I'd say that Bryce Underwood's probably the closest thing to it, but he's still four inches, t- you know, three, four inches shorter than Trevor was and and not quite the, you know, the, the player that he was. There's a reason those guys are considered generational players because they just don't come along very often. And so other freshmen should not be held to the standard of, well, this guy wasn't as good as this guy was as a freshman. Well, no kidding. Neither was anyone else. So I say this. Well, you, you lost Jalen Smith. You're not going to have a Jalen Smith next year. You know who else is not going to have a Jalen Smith next year? Everyone in college football. Because there just aren't a lot of those type of guys. And, you know, that's kind of how I say with Trevor Lawrence is it? Well, no. As great as next year's quarterback class is, Tim. No, I don't think there's anyone right now yeah, as I mean, good as Trevor Lawrence. You're talking unicorns now. Right. I mean, I, I, my, my, the lasting impression I have of Trevor Lawrence is the ACC championship game. Which, uh, speaking of accomplishments by Jack Swarbrick, he got Notre Dame in the ACC during the pandemic here, which is amazing. Uh, although it certainly benefited ACC too. But my my forever uh, lasting image of Trevor Lawrence is I'm down on the field before the game, and in walks Trevor Lawrence in his. I think it was like a it was a tan suit. It all it all matched, and here comes this six foot five, six foot six dudes striding across the field, looking like he owned the damn place. And I'm like, uh Oh, here we go. <laughs> We're going to have to face this dude today. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, that was a pretty tall task for Notre Dame. That and night. he was a, that was his junior year, right? Yeah. That was his junior year. Yeah. He was, a, he was a special kid. There just aren't, you know, like somebody mentioned Harold Perkins. Yeah. Harold Perkins is a, is a bit of a unicorn. And there was also a bit of a unique opportunity for him. Uh, that that doesn't always exist at other places. So good good question there, Gideon. Uh, Ray Holcraft says, do you expect Notre Dame to name a starting quarterback by the end of spring? What are the advantages of naming a starting quarterback by the end of spring practice and advantages of not naming a starting quarterback until the fall? I'll say this. No, they're not going to name a starting quarterback. That's, I mean, that's impossible. Yeah. <laughs> it would be unwise to do so. There is no, There is nothing to be gained by it. Especially if you believe that Tyler Buckner has been at the very least – right on par with Sam Hartman. 
because everything we talked about at the beginning, Tim, of it's good for Sam Hartman and good for this team that he be it be perceived that he wins this job. If you name him and he started in the spring, there's no other justification than saying you just promised it to him because he has not outplayed Tyler Buckner, nor do I think out Tyler has Tyler has significantly outplayed Sam Hartman. They both had some good moments and some moments where it's, it's spring, you know? So I, I, I think it would be very unwise and could undo a lot of the team building that you're doing as a football team. If you go out there and do something like that, but if you name Sam Hartman, the starter, Tyler Buckner would be out the door immediately. And, right. And should be, I mean, the way that the spring has gone, I would say that I would understand it. I would be understanding of him deciding to do that. I just, there's just no positives in this particular situation. Ray, take this situation out to answer the second part of your question. The advantage of naming a starting quarterback by the end of spring practice, if you know who it's going to be and it's obvious to the team, it's you're identifying your leader. That's the advantage of it. You're identifying your leader. This is our guy. And if you know who that's going to be, there's no reason to 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 play around and pretend like you've got a battle if everyone knows who your starting quarterback is going to be. Uh, and so there's been times when, okay, we all know who our quarterback's going to be. Let's Let's roll, right? And then other times where it's like, well, we may think we know, but I, I think last year, from what I was told by sources, Tim, and you may have heard something different, is they the, t- the staff knew that Tyler Buckner was going to be the starting quarterback, but they wanted to go into fall and, and still make Tyler continue to work and earn it and, and and still keep Drew in the conversation, things like that. And I have no problem with that because Tyler may have won the job after 15 practices, hypothetically, but there's still 25 practices before the first game. You know, so I, I think the disadvantage is you're taking the other kid out of the comp competition and you're and you're now telling your team that, hey, this is our guy when you may not be sold on that. So I think that would be the disadvantages of just jumping the gun a little bit would be the disadvantage of, of that. Um, so I, I think that would be the two the two ways I would look at that, Tim. Just big picture, not so much directly related to because we agree this situation. There's no reason to name a starting quarterback right now. And I mean, I guess there are occasions where you want to establish who your leader is yeah. going into the summer. But in this day and age, where 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 players come and go so easily, you don't want to you don't want to do anything to 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 rock the boat. It just it, it I don't I don't see in this situation. I don't see any advantage with it. Yeah. Tim, we have a uh, Archer four five two is a our re- we call him our resident Ohio State fan. He's an Ohio State fan, but he's always in our chat. We love him, uh, love him being part. We have Alabama fans, Michigan fans, but he has an interesting question. It's two part. He says one of Ohio State's local media blogs, Eleven Warriors, just announced a for profit NIL collective with perks like a Ryan Day podcast, virtual film session with coaches, and passes to practice games. Would you be supportive of one of the Notre Dame outlets doing a similar thing? Um, my first reaction is no. If I'm reading this correctly, I would say no, because I, I don't think you should get into a situation where you're promoting one outlet over another, in my opinion. I do think what I would say is I think it'd be very cool. I've seen, a, a, I forget who, who what coaching staff did this a few years ago, but they brought all the media in. They broke down film with them. I think that'd be great because I always hear like, well, you know, they should be speaking on things. Well, hey, here's a thought. If you want us to speak more intelligently on your offense and defense, how about you bring us in over the summer and let us talk ball with you? You know, you got rid of the coaches clinic, so we can't do that anymore. You know, so if you want us to, to speak more intelligently on things, how about you let us have some fun? And we can have some fun with it. You know, promote it, do whatever, do a fundraiser or something like that, whatever you want to do. But I think that'd be pretty cool. And I think something their name should consider is just – letting folks come in and watch some film with them. Say, hey, look, you can't report on You can't tell people the names of our plays. We're just here to talk ball. We're here to just do a film session, have some fun with it, and uh, and connect with you. I think that would be really cool, and I think that would go over very well if Notre Dame would do something like that. Yeah, but, uh, I, I really like your notion there. I, you know, we, I don't I don't think that's something that we would we would get involved with. The, the original question is yeah. what you're saying. But, um, yeah, I think it would be great, and I, and it really would be – I mean, it'd be less beneficial for you because of your background in the game. But I, I mean, it would be really, really beneficial for, you know, the other 99% of the people in the business that don't have the coaching background. And the benefit would be too, is, is because there's somebody like me and and a couple other people is I'd be able to ask some questions that get answers that maybe some of y'all wouldn't think about. I think it'd be better for the whole group. Yeah. And, and Tim, you, I mean, part of the reason I feel like you and Tim were, or you and Lou were so accepting of me was, is, Hey, look, I'm confident in my standing and who I am and what I'm doing that I don't mind helping to lift up someone who's trying to make a name in this business. Right. And I think that would be something that's kind of how I look at it, too, is 
if me being there and my presence could maybe help other people, I never would have thought to ask that question. And that's something I respected about Lou. Lou said, you know, I decided along, I went to a coach's, Lou told me this story. He said, I went to a coach's clinic a number of years ago and I'm listening to this coach talk. And it's like, he might, he could have been speaking Mandarin Chinese for all that. I just had no clue he's talking about. And he realized like, you know what? There's so much about this game. I don't know that I'm going to stay in my lane over here about certain things. And, and, and that's what he chose to do. And I respect him for that, you know, but I think that if, if there's a, the thing I like about the beat now is there's so many different types of talent on the beat that if, if, Hey, if I can do something that helps you and you can do something that helps me, then it's going to make the product better for the fans. And that's ultimately is, is what it's about. Yeah. Lou and I didn't agree on that. I, yeah. I always wanted to learn more, more, more. I yeah. feel like I, you know, you know me, like if I have a question, I'll call you up and ask you. I mean, I, I don't want to stop learning. I won't, I, I will continue to try to learn as long as I can am in this business, because I think it's important. You know, I mean, there was a time when that didn't matter whether mm-hmm. I could, could talk X's and O's with people. It matters now. Mm-hmm. It definitely matters. And I learned, you know, Brian, did you ever, did you get our recruiting videos? Did we ever talk about yes. this? Yes. Yeah, I, I remember watching the one with Roddy Rodimer and uh, uh, the, the Lorenzo kid from Jersey. And uh, I think Jason Sapp was on that one. Kyle Budensack. I remember that one. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it was the year they got the Carlo holiday also, I think was in that class. Yeah. And Jerry I, mean, Clark I, and, I love doing that. I mean, yeah. it was, it was uh, prehistoric the way we gathered film on, on VHS tapes. And, but it was considered like, wow, this is awesome. Oh, Cause no nobody was doing Bob this. Nagel, Bob would uh, be the in, in, uh, in studio host. Mm-hmm with me. But what, what I wanted to mention was a, a guy that was incredibly helpful to me early in my career, like in the eighties, uh, late eighties was Bob Kamel, who I would actually mm-hmm. sit down and watch film with. Yeah. And, and I, and I really give him a lot of credit for, I think my ability to do film reviews. I mean, I don't know. I, again, I don't know what you know, but I'll put my film reviews up against anybody. I mean, it, you know, it, but you have to feel that way. Body, Otherwise don't do it. Right. The full body of work. I'm not saying I'm right yeah. all the time. Of course I'm not. We're, we're all wrong, but the full body of work, I, I'll, I'll put that up against anybody that, that does it. I mean, outside of, of, uh, of, of really great coaches, but um, Kamel helped me do that. Kamel said at this position, what he's trying to do here is this for him to win on this rep, he needs to do that. And then the other thing was, and this was, this was invaluable too, back in the day during the, during the, I started under Jerry Faust, but especially during the Lou Holtz days, um, every practice was open. Yeah. And we could, I could go and stand and, and stand right by a position. And I can't tell you how many times I went and stood by Joe Moore and listened to him to listen to them cuss guys out. But, but more important than that, we always laugh about that, about, you know, how salty he could be, but to him, to, to be around a guy talking technique like that, I, I, you know, Kamel helped me a lot, but what really got me rolling was the ability to stand and listen and watch coaches coach to the point where I felt like, you know what? I mean, I got a pretty good idea of what every position needs to do technique wise in order to succeed yeah he's I, i've had a chance i actually did a show one time with coach Kamel. i've had a chance to talk to him a couple of times he's a, he's a very open guy I, i've always always appreciated my interaction with coach Kamel. there's no doubt about that still around i believe too I Tim, right? he he still- yes he is yeah, I still around. About yeah. Yep. yeah he's a good guy yep uh i think that but to the point i think that would be something that'd be a lot of fun is to have like just just sit there and have a film just in the middle of summer. Hey, you know we got camp starts next week. Let's sit down and talk some ball. It'd be a lot of fun. As long as there's certain hey, you can't you can't mention this. You can't you know don't yeah. mention that. You know Here like he Stan would have loved sitting down with the media and oh talk. God, about. you know what though? <laughs> I'll, I'll give him this, and I don't know if it's because he knew I coached or whatever. But when I would go up to him at clinics and talk ball with him, he was always very receptive to that. At at the but that's also a different environment where. Yeah. This is what I'm here to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but as far as like sitting down in a, yeah, like, no, I, I don't think that would have gone over well. No, Harry, Harry would not. And Joe Moore wouldn't have either. Yeah. Either. He didn't well, have, he didn't have much. 
Harry Heastan is very much a lot like Joe Morrow. Yeah, yeah the, in a lot, a lot yeah, of ways, and including ways. results. The yeah, results. that too. That too. Yeah. I'm going to go last question here, Tim, before we get out of here. This is from Josh Buffo, the motivational business maker. He says, what Notre Dame quarterback from 2012 to 2022 could have won a title on the 15 or 18 playoff team and why? Uh, I think there's several, actually, in my opinion, if they're on the right team. I think that I, look, I think Everett Golson, if if he was was on the track for that until he got himself in trouble, I think that kind of knocked him off track. I think the whole George Whitfield thing kind of sent him in a different direction than he was trending. I think Malik Zaire is a guy that that if he did not did not get hurt in 2015 as part of that team, I think that team could have been a I still say this, and I have no way to back this up. I think they beat Clemson if Malik's the quarterback on of that year. I do, because they had the they could have they, they could have done more to run the football in that in those conditions uh, that year. But um, and and Deshaun Kaiser with a different quarterback coach, maybe one that could kick him in the butt a little bit. Is a guy that had the physical tools to do that. I just don't know if Deshaun had the leadership to be a championship quarterback in my opinion. Whereas if Deshaun had Malik's leadership ability, I think Deshaun has a completely different career. You think Jack Cohn could have won it? No. Uh, if Jack Cohn, if mm, in today's game, no, I think like Jack Cohn, I don't, I think Jack Cohn could have run the 2015 Alabama team and, and led that team. I do. Um, on the right team, you know, let me think about that, Tim on the right team. Yeah. I think Jack Cohn could have a chance to do that. I, I was a big Jack Cohn guy. Tim, I, I was very high on Jack Cohn. I just think Jack Cohn was on the wrong team for the first six months, six games of last season of the 2021 season. <laughs> yeah, very true. He needed, I mean, you. I've said this. If you put Jack Cohn on this year's football team, I, they're a much different team because he'd had the line and he'd had enough playmakers to get the ball out to, yeah. in my opinion. I think they'd have been a much different team than, than they were. I agree with you on Kaiser. I, I, I disagree on Zaire. I never thought he was I, – I, I, I agree from the standpoint of the run-pass balance or, mm-hmm. or the, the run uh, uh, component there. I never thought he was accurate enough throwing yeah. football. I, didn't I don't think, think he needed to be in 2015. That would be my only, my only thing is I think in that 2015, he was the perfect quarterback for that team, in my opinion, because they didn't – because what were they in 2015? Run the ball, throw it deep. And that's who they were. Yeah, that's fair. You know, um, on 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 the 2021 team, it's a different conversation because you needed a different element at quarterback on that 2015 team. And that's why I say, Tim, it's got to be the right quarterback on the right team. That's another part of this whole thing. Yes, yeah, it is. Is it's not like like, and that's what makes the Trevor Lawrence is so good. You can put Trevor Lawrence in any offense other than the triple option, and he's going to be just fine. Now, other guys need to be okay. Kyler Murray running the Wisconsin offense doesn't look as good as Kyler Murray running the the Oklahoma offense. It's still good, but that fits him because of certain physical traits and things like that. Yeah. And so to me, uh, Notre Dame hasn't had a guy that, that was a transcendent player, meaning he was going to make the rest of the team better. They all were guys that needed a little bit of, you put them on the right team. I've said this, I think ever Golson physically had the best talent of any Notre Dame quarterback. I was, I was going to bring that up. I, yeah. I, I mean, I love the way he threw the football. Yeah. And he was a pocket passer who was athletic. Absolutely. When you go watch him play in high school, he could run, but he was, I mean, he, what, 13,000 yards passing, 120 some touchdowns. I mean, he was a tr- beat Jadavion Clowney in the state championship game. Um, if he didn't get himself out for 2013 and stayed on the path of building on 2012, I think Everett Golson's career would have ended a whole lot different at Notre Dame. And he would have been the starting quarterback in 2015. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Correct. Yep. Right. I mean, think yep. about that. Think about yep. Everett without the roadblock and what happened to him being a fifth year senior on that 2015 team with Will Fuller and Chris Brown and Amir Carlisle and CJ Procise and Al- and with the three first round draft picks on the offensive line, that team would have been something. That team could have really been something. Yeah, I agree. And it just didn't work out that way. You've worn me out, Coach D. I have. I know. We it's, I say we, we get to the end. You you did a. I see. You can do a three hour show, Tim. You, yeah. you you don't realize how long it goes until you look up at the well, clock and like, holy Irish crap! I won't be doing three hours. <laughs> I can guarantee you that. 
Well, Tim, thank you, buddy, so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. It's been a lot of fun. Um, it's going to be a fun blue gold game. I'm very curious to hear kind of what we hear from the big Saturday scrimmage. That's going to be a lot of fun as well. Very much. It's, it's uh, my last Notre Dame fans. It's okay to get excited about this team. We don't know just how good they're going to be, but now's the time to be excited about it. I think from talking to Tim and I, you hear the things that, that there are to be excited about, but this team is still evolving and still growing. They're going to keep getting better. And I'm very much looking forward to seeing it. So Mr. Priester, Thank you so much for being with us, everybody. Hit that like button before you get out of here. Hit the subscribe button. Hit the notification bell. Share this podcast. And, of course, sign up for the message boards at boards.rsbreakdown.com. We will talk to you again tomorrow for we will have our – if you think this show is long, wait till you see me and Sean Davis doing a mailbag together. Now that is a marathon. But, Tim, thank you so much for being with us. We'll talk to you again here very soon. All right, thanks for inviting me. I appreciate it. Talk to you again, everyone else. We'll see you again here tomorrow on the IB uh, Irish Breakdown podcast. happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com